If you have a Bible today, please go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, this is where we uh, left off before our Resurrection Sunday sermon. We're right in the middle of the Ten Commandments there. And today we won't actually be looking at a commandment per se, but uh, one of God's comments after he gives the second commandment. And it will be about his jealousy. Jealousy. That's a loaded word, isn't it? I mean, when we think about jealousy, maybe it reminds us of the way we have been jealous of other people. Maybe uh, their good looks, maybe their talent, maybe their house or their car or their job. You know, we get jealous at what other people have. There, there's this envy that, hey, they have something that I want, and so that springs up in jealousy. It's not a good thing, but we've all been there. Or maybe when we think about jealousy, it reminds you of a past, hopefully a past boyfriend or girlfriend who was unreasonably jealous. They hated any time someone of the opposite gender talked to you. And then they're always grilling you about where you were and who you were with. Often uh, what I've seen is that that tends to show that they actually have a guilty conscience. <laughs> they know they can't be trusted and so they can't give you trust. They know they wouldn't be faithful so they don't trust you'll be faithful. Or so either they have that guilty conscience or they are excessively insecure. You know, they don't feel good about themselves. They don't feel worthy. And so they're fearful you're going to run off with the next person that comes along. And so they're unreasonably jealous. And so the, kind of the point I'm making is that generally when we think about jealousy, it is an unattractive trait. It is not something we are drawn to. It's not our favorite thing about other people. So it is very interesting and maybe even troubling when we come to Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, and God describes himself as jealous. We see there, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so the question that should leave us is, does that mean that God is envious of what others have and he does not? And so he gets jealous? Or does it mean that he's untrustworthy so he can't really trust other people? Does it mean he feels insecure and unworthy so he's afraid people will run off and chase after the next God? I want you to realize and recognize that this is actually a very big deal. You know, we say that God is glorious beyond all compare. We say that God is worthy of all worship, obedience, and praise, and enjoyment. He's worthy of all these things. But can that still be true if God is a jealous God? Can he be worthy of worship if he's often overcome with envy? Can he be worthy of worship if he is either untrustworthy or insecure? That is what we will investigate today. So we'll go ahead and get the text before us. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in the, the kind of the middle of verse 5. Again, this is right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. God has already said, have no other gods before me and make no graven images to bow down and worship them. Then he says this, 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. That is God's word. That is God revealing not only that he is jealous, but showing what that jealousy looks like. And so it is very important today that we understand God's word and understand it rightly. So let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Father God, we do love your word. As Brother Adam said, we love your word and all that it reveals to us. And God, we're so thankful that most of the Bible is very easy to understand. Even a small child could generally understand that the basic idea of what is being taught. But God, we confess that there are some parts of scripture, some parts of what you've revealed to us that are more difficult to understand, more difficult to reconcile and more difficult to rightly respond to, Lord. So we do ask for your spirit to give us clarity and wisdom and to help us to worship you the way you deserve through your son, Christ Jesus. I pray all this in his name. Amen. It is interesting, by the way, as I, as I thought through this subject and as I studied this subject, two names uh, often came up of, of two great thinkers, uh, quite honestly. Uh, there, there are two great thinkers that really struggled with this question. Uh, one was C.S. Lewis. He was a, a Cambridge and an Oxford um, professor, uh, so a brilliant man. He was the author of, of many books, Mere Christianity, The Screwtape Letters, and you're probably most familiar with The Chronicles of Narnia that were made into movies uh, maybe a decade ago. But he struggled with the jealousy of God. He said, is God like, the, I mean, that's, this is the way he said it. Is he like some insecure little woman is what he says. Uh, he's, like, he's like, I really struggled with thinking of God that way of like, no, I need your attention. And then the other great thinker, and you, you may uh, challenge that statement. The other great thinker that really struggled with this was Oprah Winfrey. You say, not a great thinker. I say, one of the richest women in America. <laughs> she, she has the show, the magazine, the empire. No joke. And she grew up as a Christian, uh, you know, in a Christian family, in a Christian context. And she said she was totally good with it until preacher man got up there and talked about the jealousy of God. And she said, What? I, I, I like this powerful God. I like this loving God, this merciful God, but a jealous God? I, I, I don't need a jealous God. And so she did. She turned away from the Christian faith. Now, she's uh, quote unquote spiritual, uh, which means she'll, she'll pick and choose a little bit of everything, uh, but she is a, a brilliant mind. And yet, these two brilliant minds, C.S. Lewis and Oprah Winfrey, looked at this same reality, and it is a reality about God. They looked at this same reality about God and they went two completely different directions because they came to two completely different conclusions about the jealousy of God. See, Oprah, again, she could not get over that, that God was just a megalomaniac. I need everyone's attention. You will worship me or I will kill you. you know, like that, that was all she could focus on. But C.S. Lewis 
came to realize a different reality. And he then wrote Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters, Chronicles of Narnia, all God-glorifying books. And this is what he saw. Number one, God's jealousy is a glorious attribute. God's jealousy is a glorious attribute. I use that word glorious a lot. I, I realize it's a Christianese word. You don't usually hear that outside of uh, the church walls or Christian context. But I mean the, the beauty, the, the perfection of God is not tainted by his jealousy. I'll tell you, God is not uh, ashamed of this fact that he is a jealous God. Uh, we, we see it right there, you know, in Exodus 20, verse 5, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. He just says it. And then uh, later um, in Exodus chapter 34, Moses will even say this about God. Hear these words. He says, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Now, God's name is not literally jealous. If he were to sign a contract, he would not sign jealous. He would, he would sign Yahweh, Lord. The, the, the Lord, that's God's proper name, whose name is jealous, means this is a defining characteristic of who God is. His name is jealous. His, his reputation, his characteristics is jealous, is a jealous God. And so God is not bashful about the fact that he is a jealous God. And so I, I want to show you, like, well, why would not God not be ashamed of this? I mean, if I were an unreasonably jealous person, I would probably not be telling everyone about it. I'd be hiding, no, nah, I don't get jealous like that, you know. Uh, but God, just my name is jealous. So how can God and Moses be so unashamed to call God jealous. We, we can work toward this in a couple different ways. I'll, I'll show you first. Every attribute and action of God is glorious. Therefore, the jealousy of God is glorious. I, I put a, a few verses up there for you. Uh, again, this is just using the evidence. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 4 says of God, His work is perfect for all His ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. It's like uh, the, the, the person speaking there, Moses, it's like he's running out of words for how to call God perfect. Not only is God perfect in all His attributes, He's perfect in all of His actions. Both His, his, his characteristics and His ways are perfect. He is just, He is upright, He is without iniquity. Second uh, Samuel 2.31, this God, His way is perfect. Matthew 5.48, your heavenly Father is perfect. Who said that one? Jesus. Jesus said that. He said, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Therefore, if God in every possible attribute about him is perfect and every possible manifestation, expression of those attributes is perfect and God calls himself jealous, then his jealousy is perfect. His jealousy is beautiful. It is one of his many infinite glorious attributes. And, and so I just want to say this clearly. This is true of so many attributes of God. This is, so many, this is true of so many actions of God that you see in the Bible. If you read it and it makes God look unattractive, if it makes God not seem glorious, the problem does not lie with God. 
<laughs> the problem lies with me, the reader, or with you, the reader. It is my pea-sized brain unable to comprehend how that is a beautiful, attractive, glorious attribute of God. Does that make sense? Because God is glorious. All his ways are perfect. Your heavenly father is perfect. Therefore, the jealousy of God is not a mark against him. It is one of his glorious attributes. Now, we could just take that, you know, take the Bible, that's word. God's glorious. Therefore, his jealousy is glorious. But, but if you're anything like me, you want to dig a little bit deeper, <laughs> you know. Okay, well, if my understanding of jealousy is that it's a very unattractive attribute, how could it be different with God? Do we just give him a freebie? Well, no. Uh, here's the second thing I want to show you. You may not think about it this way, but experience, our own experience shows that there is a good, a beautiful type of jealousy. What would you say <clears throat> about a husband if he didn't care that other guys were flirting with his wife and she was flirting back? Hmm. Well, she's going to do what she's going to do. No big deal. She's just a free spirit. What, what would you say about that husband? Husband, you have been brought into a covenant relationship with this woman, a love relationship with this woman. You, you, you are two that have become one flesh, two equally important, equally honorable humans joined together in marriage, an exclusive relationship of marriage, and you're okay with her being flirted with and even responding to that flirting? Well, here's what that would say. It would say that he does not value the relationship. No, you know, it's just, just marriage, no big deal if our covenant marriage gets ruined. It would tell you that he doesn't value himself. Oh, who am I to complain? It's just me being dishonored. You know, I'm, I'm probably just not enough for her. And it would tell you he does not value his spouse. I can promise you right now, unfaithfulness in a marriage is not good for anyone, including the unfaithful party. And so if the husband sees his wife headed towards unfaithfulness and even dipping the toes in unfaithfulness, and he allows that continue, he clearly does not love his wife the way that he should because he would want to rescue his wife from such ruin. And so... Our own experience says there is a good, there is a beautiful, there, there, there is a necessary type of jealousy. And that is the jealousy of relationship. It is the jealousy of love, of covenant, exclusive relationship. And so it is with God. We see from God's word that he is a relational being. I mean, even before he created the universe, he was a relational being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make mankind in our own image. Hmm, this is before God has created mankind and he's talking to us. Yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God has always been a relational being and he created humans in his image for relationship with him, an exclusive relationship of worship to him. That's what God did when he created mankind. We actually saw that in our verse for this week, didn't we? It said, uh, Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, 
For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There is a relationship. There is a requirement. There is an exclusivity to this relationship of worship to God. Mankind is to worship God and Him alone. And so, if that is broken, then God is rightly jealous. More specifically, I would say, by the way, in the context of Exodus 20, he is speaking to the nation of Israel. They are his chosen people. They are his redeemed people. I mean, we, we saw it um, in, in uh, the beginning of chapter 20, rather. He says there, uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I, the Lord, Yahweh, am your God. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I have redeemed you. I have brought you to myself in this covenant relationship. And it very much so was a covenant relationship with Israel. And so it would be infidelity. It would be adultery to, to, to turn away from God, to worship other gods, to, to bow down and serve them. And by the way, if you're uncomfortable with that word adultery being spoken of in between a man and God, just read the books of Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea. I mean, all of them call Israel adulterous. I'm not saying idolatrous, like idols, adulterous, like breaking a marriage covenant. And Christians are in exactly the same boat. We are in a blood-bought covenant. This is my covenant and my blood poured out for you, Jesus said. We are in a blood-bought covenant through Jesus Christ with God. We are joined to him and it is an exclusive relationship of worship. I worship God alone. And uh, James 4 kind of shows us this. Oh, James 4 shows us this. You adulterous people, he's talking to, to Christians, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world, that is being in love with, worshiping the world, is enmity with God? You adulterous people. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You, you've turned your back on God. If you're going to pursue and worship the things of this world, whether it be money, possessions, pleasure, prestige, it is adultery doesn't mean we can't have money, possessions, you know, uh, pleasure, prestige. It means if we worship those, if we make those things God, if we disobey God in order to get those things, we are clearly worshiping them over God. And that is infidelity. That is unfaithfulness. That is adultery. And so we have a God of relationship, right? We have a God who recognizes that he is worthy of honor and glory. And we have a God who loves his spouse, as it were, those whom he has brought himself into covenant with. He loves those whom he has created even. Therefore, he is rightly, beautifully, and fittingly jealous when we worship and serve other gods. And so it is. The jealousy of God is one of his glorious attributes. It reflects his greatness. It reflects his worth. It reflects uh, the weight he puts upon relationship. And it reflects his love for those whom he has created and brought into covenant with himself. God 
is jealous, and it is a beautiful attribute. We need not ignore it to worship God. So this is what we have seen first. We don't, we don't have to be afraid of the jealousy of God, like, oh, kind of just accidentally got thrown in there in the Bible like a couple dozen times. God is not ashamed of it, and we should not be either, and it should be a cause for worship. But what does it look like when God's jealousy is provoked in these ways? How does God react when his people are unfaithful to him? The worthy one, the faithful one. Well, this is the, the next thing that we see uh, in, in Exodus. Choices carry generational consequences. <laughs> Long words, um, but choices carry generational consequences. I want to show it to you from the text. This is just, you see the flow that God says, I am a jealous God. Then he says how he reacts. Exodus 20 verse 5, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Hang with me here, okay? Hang with me here. If, if that sounds crazy to you, if that sounds like God is, is unjust, hang with me. This is a stern warning. Now, Israel already knows that, that it is not a good idea to turn their back on God, to become an enemy of God. Like personally, for them, it will not be good as individuals to turn their backs on God. They know that because they have already seen Pharaoh and, and the, the plagues come upon him. They have already seen the Egyptian army crushed in the Red Sea. They've already seen how God dealt with the Amalekite army that was attacking them uh, at one point. And God has already warned of his wrath breaking out against them in chapter 19, if they were to go up on Mount Sinai while he rests on it. He says, if you break that barrier, my, my wrath will come out against you. So do not break that barrier. Don't come across that line while, while I rest upon this mountain. They, they should know very well that, that rebellion against God, unfaithfulness to God, disobedience to his commands will not be good for them personally. But what we see here in verse 5 is, is that that's already the basis, personally bad, but an intensification of that warning is given in verse 5. Not only will they face personal punishment, but their offspring will face consequences as well. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. I want to make sure... We understand this warning because, again, it has been misunderstood and, and, it, and it would be uh, an unattractive trait if it were misunderstood. First, I, I want to make sure you understand that God is not saying, he is not saying that he will punish future generations for the sin of their parents. Punishment is wrath. God is not saying that he will punish them for the sins of their parents. Look at this in Ezekiel 18.20. I mean, you could read all of Ezekiel 18. I had to pick and choose what verses I would, I would give you because uh, it just repeatedly says this. He says this, 18.20, The soul who sins shall die. 
The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wickedness shall be upon himself. Again, you read that whole chapter, and it's very clear. I will judge you each according to your works. My wrath will be meted, my punishment will be meted on the evil one, not on the next generation. But still, Exodus 20, verse 5, has to mean something, right? I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. First, I'll tell you what I think it means, and then I'll show you uh, proof of, of what I believe from the text. And you can, you can make up your own mind if you believe I have landed on the, the truly scriptural uh, meaning here. First, I think that it means that while future generations may not receive punishment for the sins of their parents, they will still have to endure unpleasant consequences for your sins, for my sins. Notice, uh, I think I have it in a slide there. He uses the word, NIV and NASB translate it punishing. I mean, I looked up the Hebrew word, that is a bad translation, but most translations uh, give that word right there, visiting, visiting, not punishing, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children. Visiting carries just the idea of what it sounds like. It is visiting, it is, it is delivering upon, it is visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children. And so this is not a punishment, but there is a consequence. There is a ramification, there is an effect, an unpleasant one at that. Again, we, we know this to be true in our own experience. We certainly see it in Israel's experience. The parents would sin greatly. God would send an army to uh, discipline them and the children have to experience being in captivity or, or uh, you know, in bondage or whatever. The, the children would have to suffer those unpleasant consequences. That wasn't punishment. That wasn't the wrath of God. That was the consequence of, of sin. But we know this to, to be true in our, in our own uh, lives as well. If a father commits fraud, has all his possessions seized and he's thrown in prison, will that not affect the future generations? I, mean, I can tell you right now, it won't just be the children that are affected by that family being impoverished and that father being thrown in prison. I know that's an, an extreme example, but it, it gets the point across. To the third and fourth generation, they will feel that iniquity. They will not be punished for it by God, but they will feel those unpleasant consequences. It's interesting, uh, there have been times uh, when I've sinned and, I, and I'm sitting there repentant because the Holy Spirit you know, convicts me. And, and I, I will literally, I say to God, God, please do not let this hurt my children. Don't let my foolishness come upon the heads of the innocent in my life. And I've said the same thing about the church. God, please don't let my foolishness hurt this church that I love so much. God's not going to punish, but there are unpleasant consequences. Now, there is an additional reality here, though. We need to get this as well. In addition to unpleasant consequences <clears throat> as a result of the parent's sin, I believe this text, <coughs> excuse me, get a drink. I believe this text 
is also teaching, in addition to the unpleasant consequences, teaching that the sins of the parents have a way of passing down the generational lines. Now, I, I want to be very clear here. I'm not saying it flows through uh, their DNA that the children are in bondage to the parents' sins and committing the same patterns, but children will often imitate the sins of their parents. Your choices will influence the choices of your children. I mean, who hasn't, if you're a parent, who hasn't seen their kids sinning in some way and then suddenly you think, oh no, they're just doing what I do. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've caught myself even yelling from the other, other room, kids, stop yelling. We don't yell in this house. And I'm like, ah, well, <laughs> I wonder where they learned that. You know, it's like I'm yelling, telling them to stop yelling. Like they're clearly just doing what they see their parents doing. Monkey see, monkey do. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But that is not just anecdotal evidence or cliche sayings. We have scriptural proof from the word of God that this is at least part of the warning God is giving them. This is a long passage. It may be difficult to read along, but just uh, listen here. God is speaking to Israel. He says, observe what I command command to you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. These are the, the nations that are in the promised land that they're headed into. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go. Don't, don't make a peace treaty with them, he's saying. Take care lest you make, make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down the altars and break down their pillars <clears throat> and cut down their asherim. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. We saw that verse before. So we're tying this to the jealousy of God. <clears throat> verse 15, he says, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and you take, and you take of their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. So your sons will whore after their gods. So after you get over the fact that the Bible just said the word whore twice in a perfectly appropriate situation, you can, you can see that they're, they're, this is that adultery again. You see that God is saying to the parents, this is what's going on in Deuteronomy, parents, I'm telling you right now, do not make a peace treaty with these evil, wicked, idolatrous nations because I know exactly what will happen. It will be a snare to you, but not only to you, to your children. He says, if you make a peace treaty, you'll end up giving your sons to their daughters in marriage. That, that was very common to do um, in, in these ancient times. A peace treaty would happen. And so they would give uh, their, their children, the two nations would give their children in marriage as a, a, a sign of, uh, what's, what's the word I'm thinking of? A sign of goodwill. It, it was kind of saying, we're, we're in this together so much so that we're having our children uh, intermarry. That was a very common thing to do. So God's saying, don't make a peace treaty. This is my command. Because if you do, you will intermarry with these wicked pagan people. Your children will. You'll give your children to marry. And if you do, your children will turn after and chase after 
their gods. I'm a jealous God, he says. You shall worship no other God. So parents, obey me for the sake of your children and their children and their children. Now, if this does not seem like a big deal to you, you either are not yet a parent and don't know what it is to truly care about the the eternal good of your child, or you have some deep spiritual issues. I desperately want my children to love God, worship God, obey God, and enjoy God way more than I ever do in this life. I pray that. I say, God, let let my worship for you be eclipsed by the way my girls and my son worship you. Help them not to do the same stupid stuff that I have done against you, God. Help them just to find their delight and their joy in you. I so badly want that. And and I pray, not as often, but for their offspring as well, for my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. God, would you please take hold of their hearts, show them your glory, and God, don't let me be the one that turns them away. Jesus said, uh, it's recorded in both Matthew and Mark. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, so you cause one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and to throw it into the depths of the sea. That's what Jesus says. I feel that. I would so rather be drowned in the sea than to drag my kids down with me. And that's what God is warning here. Because of his great jealousy, it will not only be ramifications on us, but even on future generations. You do not want to be on the wrong side of the jealousy of God. He is a jealous Husband, it is a glorious attribute, but for those who rebel against him and continue in that rebellion, it is a ferocious thing. Another time when he talks about his jealousy, he calls himself a consuming fire. This is not where we want to be, and yet it is still a glorious attribute of God. Now, again, I want to say, If this sermon is making you feel depressed, I'm with you. As I was studying these things, my heart hurt about the sins I've already committed that will, will be visited upon my children and the ones I will in the future because I know my imperfection. I know my struggle with my flesh that I will not be perfected until I'm in heaven. I'm gonna keep trying, I'm gonna keep pursuing. And so it's kind of a depressing thought, but, but here's what I wanna tell you. Hold on with me until this third point. Here's the third point that we need to see. God's jealousy is a great gift. I wanna show you this. God's jealousy is a great gift. Not only uh, is it a glorious attribute, but it is a great gift to us. Look at what it says there in verse six. This is also flowing from his jealousy. Just as much as visiting the iniquities of the father on the children flowed from God's jealousy, so does verse six. The sentence has not ended, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my 
commandments. Before we go any further, I, I want to show you a couple comparisons here be between verse 6 that we just read and verse 5 that we studied just a moment ago about the generational consequences. So let's do, do a little comparison. You can see it on the screen there. We see that it says this, that for those who hate me, he will visit that iniquity to the third and fourth generation. But, but look at what, what it says in verse 6 showing steadfast love to thousands. That is meant to be a contrast. Now it's not an apples to apples comparison, I get that. You got generations versus thousands of individuals, but, but God is clearly making a point. You have just the third and fourth generation, but you have thousands as the recipients of this steadfast love. What that means is God is far more eager to spend his jealousy in showing love than in visiting iniquity. God desires to care for his people far more than to bring consequences upon them. The love of God is more prominent than the iniquity of man. That's what I'm saying here. I'll, I'll visit this iniquity to the third and fourth generation, but showing steadfast love to thousands. It's supposed to strike us with the love and mercy of God. Now there's a second comparison I want you to see just so we fully understand what's going on here. The visiting of iniquity of the fathers on the ch children, third and fourth generation is for those who hate me. Those who hate me, God said, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and so keep my commandments. Understand this, for those who love God, his jealousy is only going to manifest in love. Now love is sometimes painful, but God's jealousy will manifest in love for you. This is what we see, the, the, the steadfast love is for thousands. And so what we can kind of think in that moment is, I think, well, do I, do I hate God? Am I rejecting God? Am I rebelling against God actively? Or do I love him? Am, am I seeking to worship him, seeking to obey him? By the way, love him and obey his commandments are synonymous because Jesus said, if you love me, you will. You guys are quiet. Obey my commandments. I know, I, I, you weren't ready for it. If you love me, you will. That was so much better. It's, it's synonymous. So understand this. This is just such a beautiful reality. If you love God, and we're going to talk about Jesus here in a moment, but if you love God and you're seeking to obey him, then his jealousy will only be a good thing in your life. Sometimes painful, but it will be good. His discipline produces righteousness and the fruit of righteousness. This is what God's jealousy is for the one who loves him. It comes out, it manifests as steadfast love. Now, I, I want to show you how that can be. Okay, this is just thinking I've done about how the jealousy of God manifests as steadfast love for those who love him and keep his commandments. I'll just show you these quickly. First, the warnings of God cause you to be faithful. So God gives this stern warning in, in uh, verse five there. I will visit the iniquity 
of the fathers on the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. What that is meant to be is such a stern, such a frightful warning that we remain faithful. That, that we don't commit this spiritual adultery, that we don't worship things over God, that we don't turn away from God. I mean, I, I'll tell you, in my own life, I have been in some, some low places as a Christian, you know, following God. I've been in some low places where I have been burnt out and worn out with the Christian life. That, by the way, was not God's fault. It was my own. I wasn't in those times pursuing him and walking in a life-giving relationship with him. I would let those things slip. And so I'm just like, man, it would just be so much simpler to go back to living like a non-Christian, not worrying about God, not worrying about serving God. And, and, and there have even been times, guys, in my Christian life that sin and its temptations were pulling me so strongly. And all I wanted to do was, was say, okay, I'm tired of fighting temptation. I'm fire, tired of trying to obey God. And so it would just be easy if I just start giving into this sin, just make a pattern of it, habit of it. Don't, don't even worry about it. There have been times that I have wanted, my flesh has wanted to do those things and God has used his warnings to keep me from falling away. It should be the love of God that compels me to obedience. But in my weakness, God's jealousy is aroused and he says, I'm gonna give you a warning so that you don't go out there, so that you don't run out in the street. I'll just tell you a, a few of the passages that have been most meaningful to me. Hebrews 3.12, you can write down the, I don't have it on the screen, but you can write these down if you want. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. See, that doesn't sound like a warning. Well, it does if you think about conversely, those who are perverse in heart will not see God. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, this one speaks to me as a pastor and a teacher. He said, Paul says, I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And I say, what? The apostle Paul is worried about turning away from the living God, about pursuing sin and the things of this world rather than God? Yes. And I say, I, I better keep with this Christianity thing. <laughs> I better not give myself to this sin because I fear God, right? Proverbs and Psalms both say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I fear God, hear me. I fear the wrath of God and I fear missing out on the glory of God for eternity. He is glorious. He is what will satisfy my longing heart. And I fear missing that. And so in that moment when I'm so weak, God uses his warnings, his jealous warnings to say, Jeff, don't do it, man. Don't do it. And he can do that for you. And that's what he does. That's how his jealousy is loving towards you if you love him and keep his commandments. If that is where you are, if you're trusting in him. But there is another way. I wanna, I wanna show you this. Oh, it's already up there. Second, God's jealousy can turn things around. It does not matter where you are in your walk with God today, if you even have a walk with God, it does not matter because God is gloriously and powerfully jealous. 
Let me show you this from Deuteronomy 4. Uh, again, I'm just going to read it, and I'll give you some applications from this. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, again, Moses is talking to the, the people uh, of Israel. He says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. There it is, consuming fire, a jealous God. He says further in verse uh, 25, when, you're, when you father children and children's children and have grow, grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, read jealousy, so as to provoke him to anger, you will soon utterly perish from the land. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. Verse 29, but from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice for the Lord your God is a merciful God. It does not matter what your past looks like. And I'm talking about the past, even generations. Hear me very clearly. Even if your family was the worst of the worst, all the way from, you know, cultural Christians who just attended church, but you didn't see their love for God to Satan worshipers, it does not matter. You do not have to repeat their pattern. Why? Because God is jealous for your heart. If you seek after him, he will be merciful to you. He will become uh, your, your God. You will return to the Lord your God, it says, and obey his voice. That can happen for you. No matter what happened in the past with your family, you are not stuck in your father's or your mother's or your grandparents' sins, whether it be gambling, sexual immorality, anger, none of that do you have to commit. Paul, Paul said this, he said, there is no temptation that, that has come to you that is not common to man. For with every temptation, God always provides a way of escape. That is God's faithful jealousy that he always gives you a way of escape. And so you even think about curse. I've got a family curse, some people say. I'd say, well, Jesus hung on the tree to bear our curse. He broke the curse. Any curse that might be on you is broken in the cross. And that is good news. You are not stuck in your parents' or your grandparents' sins, no matter what they were like. In addition, God's jealousy means that no matter what your life has been like up to this point, your life, not your parents, he can turn things around. I've seen it over and over again. God pursues people who at one point care nothing about God. He pursues them. He woos their heart. He shows them how great he is and the greatness of their sin. And he says, come to me. Now, that brings up an interesting point. And it'll be the third one up there of the way God's jealousy uh, is love towards those who love him. Because, uh, you know, God is a, is a perfect uh, covenant keeper, like a perfect husband, but God is also perfectly holy and just. See, see I, I as a husband, how about I turn this around? Hallie, as a wife, can, can simply forgive my sins. She can say, 
oh, okay, Jeff, you, you apologize. You're sorry for, for what you've done. And let's, let's just, you know, make things right again. God cannot just sweep sins under the rug. He is perfectly holy, perfectly just, and anyone with any sin or contamination about them cannot be in his presence, cannot be in a relationship of love with him. That's a big problem for a relational God who loves these people whom he has created. But that's what you see there third, why the jealousy of God is a great, wondrous gift. It led, it drove Jesus to the cross. Think about it. God created us for relationship. God still desired that relationship of love, yet our sin was in between. He could not simply accept us back and act like it never happened. It had to be paid for. Our sin had to be covered. But this is what we see in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. I'm just, this is sort of a mashup. I've kind of skipped through it. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is a gloriously jealous God, and we have all been unfaithful. God is perfectly just and holy and cannot simply sweep it under the rug, act like it never happened. But because of God's jealousy, his desire to know you, to, to have your worship, to, to be in this relationship with you for your good, he sent Jesus to the cross to pay for our sin, to defeat sin and death for us. We talked about this so much last week. This is what he did for us out of his jealousy. This is the glorious jealousy of God. It is a wondrous gift to those who would seek him. You will find him and he will be the Lord your God and you will walk in obedience to him and you will receive the steadfast love of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for helping us to see that even a reality that at first glance is unattractive is actually far more beautiful and precious than we would have ever imagined. That even your jealousy turns our hearts in awe towards you, your greatness, your beauty, your wonder. And we are thankful, God, that you are not like a husband who does not care about his wife. We thank you that you are concerned with the relationship of love you want to have with us. And we thank you that you are jealous even for your own glory because you are worthy. God, we, we praise you, we worship you for being this kind of jealous God. 
And God, more than anything else, we thank you that the response of this jealousy to our unfaithfulness was Jesus. While we deserved to be cast away, thrown on the street for our infidelity, you gave up your son that we might be received into your house. That we might be brought into the most beautiful, intimate love relationship with you. Unceasing worship, unceasing joy. Oh Lord, we thank you for your jealousy. And we thank you that you showed it through Jesus. And God, I pray that you would help people no matter where they are in their walk with you, be it waning or non-existent, Lord, may they see your jealousy and find hope in it. May they fear your wrath, but also fear missing your glory. May they see that your jealousy is actually the path to a relationship with you. God, help them to trust in Jesus, I pray. In his name, amen. I'm so thankful that he makes us clean when we trust in Jesus, that forgiveness, that righteousness, and that relationship with him. I am so thankful for all of you, thankful that I got to worship and learn with you this morning. Um, Just let me know if you want to talk about any of these things. I'm more than glad to do that. Um, And again, uh, popular people, I want to remind you, uh, we have that sign-up sheet there uh, so that we can do the, the family equipping children's ministry. If that's something God would lead you to be a part of, uh, please sign up. Or again, you can just contact me directly and uh, we'll, we'll see how we can get you fit in. I am so thankful for all of you. Uh, I'm gonna pray and have God send us out back into the world. Father God, again, we are thankful for your jealousy. I thank you that we can leave this, this church confident of your love, your steadfast love for us if we have trusted in your son. Thank you that you will keep us. Thank you that you will continue to change us. Thank you that we get to worship and enjoy you. God, send us out and use us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you all. Have a wonderful Sunday.